Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Reality Check. Thanks for coming out to the Bell House for tonight's program. I'm Johanna Zorn. I'm the executive director and co-founder of the Third Coast International Audio Festival. My co-founder sitting right over there, Julie Shapiro. <laughs> oh, so fun to have a fan club. <laughs> I thought what we did was niche. Well, maybe it is. Um, less so. That's why we're here tonight. Uh, so many of you know what Third Coast is, but I'll give my spiel for those who, who are unfamiliar or hearing about us for the first time. Uh, but we're like a Sundance for radio. We were founded in 2000. We curate the best audio documentary storytelling of all sorts that we find all around the world and more and more and more from the podcasting world. Um, and share it in a lot of ways on our radio show, Resound, on our website, thirdcoastfestival.org, at live events. We do a lot of listening events that are quite fun. And the other thing that we do is that we support makers, uh, people of all experience levels, and make sure there is more great work to be heard in the years to come. So that's, that's what we do. And so it's not surprising that we get a lot of questions from folks. So what is this podcasting world? How can I get in on it, you know, what should I listen to, what should I, how should I take part in it, it's just changing and growing and expanding in so many ways, is, is there a place for me? And not only do I get those questions, everyone on this panel gets those questions, so we thought why not bring a lot of people together and record it, we're recording tonight, um, and ask a bunch of very creative and skilled and experienced people who are working in this world, what does it, how do you get into it? What does it take to make it? How can I be successful as a podcaster? And that's what we're going to do tonight. Um, so I'm going to introduce the panel really briefly. Um, but I first also want to mention that we have someone in the expert seat. Um, <laughs> he's quasi co host. Uh, Nick Kwa is founder of Hot Pod. Yay! It's a, it's a weekly newsletter about podcasts, and Nick is a very close watcher, listener, and chronicler of the growth and development of podcasting, and tonight he's our fact checker, making sure that no one is trying to get anything over on us. That's a very high bar responsibility. Yes. I have a very, very tenuous relationship with facts, but I will try. Do the best you can. You're all we've got. Okay. Then we have, to my left, Jenna Weiss-Berman is co-founder of Public Street Media. Thank you. And has quite a following here I in the room. I must have a friend here. She, <laughs> she is, uh, so she's co-founder of Pineapple Street Media, a company that produces shows for partners, such as the New York Times, as well as producing original shows. Then Alex Bloomberg is an award-winning journalist and co-founder CEO of Gimlet Media, a company focused on narrative podcasts. And he pointed out that I was his first editor, which is kind of wild and amazing. And I actually feel really honored to have ever done that way back in the day. Um, we have next Julie Shapiro, is executive producer of Radiotopia. From PRX, it's a curated network of story-driven podcasts, and as I mentioned, she and I worked together starting in 2000 for 13 years and built Third Coast together. 
And then at the very end of the, of the line, we have Nigeri Eaton. She's a senior She's the senior manager of programming acquisitions at National Public Radio, where she is charged with sourcing new content, partnerships, and talent. So I'm going to ask each of them a very quick question, and that is. What is the podcast that you want to hear in the world? And we'll go down the line, starting with Jenna. Am I going to have to start every time? You are, just like at a dinner before this. <laughs> the first one to eat. Oh, yeah, I the was the first one, one to, to drink. Eat. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> podcast I want to see in the world. Uh, there are a lot of, I, I think there are a lot of podcasts I want to see in the world, but I think podcasting is especially exciting because um, you can try lots of different things and it's not super expensive. So there's a lot of experimenting I want to do. So I think like reality radio, like reality show style radio could be a pretty cool thing to be doing a lot of. Um, and I also, I'm, I want to hear more fiction that's like less, sounds less like it was like a theater script and more like it was like a cool TV script. Um, so I think those are two things I'm excited about, just style-wise. Um, it makes me... I'm sorry, we'll get to you just a sec, Alex. But it, it reminds me that in, actually in your program, we left a place for you to take notes if you want to. Whoa. Because just like, ooh, you know, just got a hint there. Start working on that fiction podcast. Okay. Uh, Alex, um, please. I, you stole my answer. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really excited. I think there's like a, I think there can be really, I think there's um, a lot of cool things to be do, done in the reality, in the reality end of things. I think reality is exciting and I think, but I think it's exciting because like audio is, is better at certain things than TV and I think TV is really, really good at conflict and it sort of needs conflict, but it can sort of take reality that could be, you know, fun but also a little bit more nuanced and sort of send it into sort of like a, a more comic place and I feel like with reality audio you could sort of like have the fun but also get like some more context and nuance if you did it right and I think that's really exciting um, and I agree I think fiction's an exciting place I also um, uh, I, I want to see I would love to see a like a, a, an on the news podcast that sort of um, gets that sort of like has a point of view but gets beyond punditry somehow. Um, that like is the like gist sort of, or something? Huh? Like more like the gist? More, but more like just more reported, I think, is what I would love to see. And it's like expensive. I mean, I run a podcasting company, so maybe we could do, <laughs> we, we could do it. But it's like, it's, you know, it's hard to figure out exactly how to do it and who does it. But I feel like there is a, there's a world where there could be a really nice um, reported sort of like with a point of view but that, but that would, but would have facts instead of opinion. I would like that. Um, I had this exact thought recently after I read Lincoln and the Bardo by George Saunders, and I thought, I want to hear a podcast that makes me feel as blown away as this book does, like that just totally broke format. I had never read anything structurally like that. It made me laugh. It made me cry. I mean, plenty of podcasts do that, but there was something really profoundly magical about that, and I thought, I haven't had that experience with audio in a really long time, so that's what I want to hear. Um, I would like to hear any of those um, that are suggested. Um, they all sound great. Um, and as Jenna was saying, I think there is definitely more room for experimentation. I would like to also see people 
uh, experiment more with shorter podcasts because um, not everyone has an hour or even 30 minutes or even 12 minutes to devote. And I think one of the things that's missing, um, I'm not seeing, or it's not high enough profile that I'm not seeing it yet, is um, I feel like young kids, like 15 to like 23, have like really changed things like YouTube, like social media, like Facebook, and I haven't seen them um, like take apart and shift podcasts like I think they could do, and I would love to see something like that. Great. Thank you. Can I go too? Yes, you can go too. <laughs> uh, I would love to see more uh, shows that use music uh, more intelligently, I want to feel, like more emotionally, like using music as a way to sort of extend emotion of a scene in a way that doesn't feel too like, you know, old school classic-y. Um, the one of the things that really stuck with me about Mogul, which is the, uh, the show that Gimlin just put out about Because Lighty and S-Town as well, is how effective music was used. And I feel like a lot of the music that's being used right now is like from music banks. Uh, no knock on music banks, but I think that that's a real untapped like, technique. Shout out um, to Haley Shaw, who like, was the sound designer on that, who just is, like, makes, that, like, makes that show a lot of what it is. Yeah. 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 That's all I got. Great. And as this field is growing and developing of podcasting, we're seeing other sort of parts of that world grow. The music part of it, for instance, um, and uh, yeah, the advertising, and on and on and on. But there are now people composing music for podcasts in a way that we didn't have for radio. So it's a, it's a whole burgeoning field of its own. Um, but, you know, we, as we t- start talking about this field of podcasting, uh, we know that every day there's a new one, if, if not 12. And so we know there are more podcasts every day, but are there more podcast listeners every day? How, how is the field growing and in what ways? Can you give us a little bit of a snapshot? So, yeah, you actually sent me this query and I sort of dug through the numbers and tried to figure out what exactly it looks like. Because there are the broad numbers, but I don't think it's actually telling like, the full story. So if you want to just use 2016 numbers and 2013 numbers at benchmarks, uh, I think 2016, the number that just came out from WWDC is that there are about 400,000 podcasts listed on the Apple directory. Um, and in 2013, there were 250,000. Um, a lot of that of course, is probably not very much listened to. Um, and the real question is sort of of that, of that number, what percentage is actually you know, active or beats 50,000 listeners per episode? I think that's the real sort of question. Uh, but in terms of podcast audiences, if you take 2013, um, if you take monthly active listeners, it's like people who record listening monthly. Uh, 2013 was uh, 12% of the reported sort of study. In 2016, it was 24. So it's a doubling just a little more than the number of podcasts in directory, but that's not really the story. The story is like, of the new podcasts that come out, how many of them are actually sort of pushing that number upwards? Um, and so like, that's the sort of way to think about that number. But it, is, it does feel like every day somebody and somebody else's mom, somebody else's stepbrother has a new podcast, every celebrity has a podcast, every producer has a podcast, every blogger has a podcast. And I, I, I was working on a column about peak podcasting recently, and I'm still trying to think through the arguments, but it does feel like there, there's something weird going on here, and there's something to sort of really consider about the fatigue that could come up from, from right now. But there are probably a lot of people in this room who would like to make a podcast, and we don't, want to, we don't actually want to discourage you from doing that. We actually want to encourage you, especially if you have a wonderful... Um, my bias in Third Coast would be narrative podcast, but, um, but so I want to find out a little bit about you, uh, tell me, if you're in the room and you are already a producer and you have a podcast 
you know, working on some element of a podcast now. Clap your hands. If you're in the sort of the idea stage, like I've got this idea and someday I want to do it and I come here and I hopefully I'll get some nuts and bolts about what steps to take next. Please clap your hands. Okay, fewer. And how many people here who just sort of want to get the inside scoop, want to hear from these people, these great people on stage, and just, just want to sort of get an earful of what's going on in podcasting today? Okay. Uh, anybody, I... none of the above? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Could you clap? <laughs> oh, everybody fits in three buckets. That's great. <laughs> You're in three buckets. So we are going to hear from all of you out there as, as much as we possibly can during this program because it really is for you. Um, Maya Goldberg-Safer, associate, artistic associate of Third Coast Festival, is out there in the audience. There is she. There she is. Um, and she'll be taking your question. Because we're, we're recording this, please make sure that she gets over to you before you start asking your question. Um, and also, we do have a hashtag for tonight, which is a reality check. So... Please use it to your heart's content. So we are going to get started sort of with this first section, and which is about where the heck do you get started? Um, and I won't always ask you in this particular order. We'll mix it up. We'll make it, we'll make it a little more spontaneous than that. Um, so I'd like to know from this panel where your new podcast ideas come from, how you vet all the ideas that come over the transom, and, you know, how willing you are to take a chance on something new. So, Nigel, you want to start? Sure. Um, so, uh, what's the first part of the question? Well, it was a multi-part. Okay. I'm sorry about yeah. So, where do your new podcast ideas come from? Sure. Um, so, they come through a couple different ways. Uh, one is that we actually have uh, a portal for people to submit ideas. It could be a podcast. It could be a radio show. It could be a re- podcast that you hope becomes a radio show. And it could be a recurring segment for a news magazine. And that's nprstorylab.submittable.com. Um, there's some postcards out there if you, um, in the lobby if you want to take one with that address on there. And so we, like, make sure that everything gets kind of, like, cr- applications get created and put through that portal. That way we can track. Because what was happening before I got to NPR is that, like, someone sent something to Mike Oreskes and someone sent something to Anya Grunman and programming and business. had th- Everything was everywhere. And no one could make decisions, and no one knew who made decisions, and it was kind of a mess. So everything goes through there. And sometimes, um, like, uh, it could come from anyone completely, from this audience or from Third Coast or someone who just stumbled across it. Uh, We in my department are also kind of keeping a list of people we'd be interested in um, and developing a show around um, a person, um, another organization. And so we kind of can go out and solicit ideas and develop things with people. Um, but everything, that's kind of that, that portal is kind of like the hub. Um, and then um, I'm kind of like the first line, I'm like the first gatekeeper. There's several different gates, but I'm the first gatekeeper. Um, but I'm obviously not very intimidating. And what I really want people to do is, no matter what, like, I'm very accessible. You can email me, you can call me. I really prefer to talk to people over the phone so they can hear, like, what we're about, what we're looking for, and I can hear about their idea, and I can say, Maybe that's not what we're looking for, or that's great, or this thing that you said is really great. I think this should be built out more. Um, so people can have, you know, the best foot forward before they submit. Um, 
So, well, when you say what we're looking for, what does that mean? What are you looking for? Yeah, so uh, it's, it's kind of deliberately, deliberately broad. Um, we don't want to um, have anything too limited because we don't want to like um, put too many constraints around it and then we'll miss out on the next great big thing. But essentially, we're, we're looking for content that will um, help to bring in new audiences, um, younger audiences, listeners, um, more diverse listeners. We're looking um, for shows that are actually really strong um, and really compelling. Um, they have, you know, per, we keep saying the phrase personality with a capital P, which maybe some people don't necessarily always associate with NPR. Um, and then, um, yeah, we're looking for things that kind of can help move the needle in terms of either shows that can help, um, can be innovative, things can help, that can help, I think, circle back to making the newsroom uh, tell stories in different ways. So we're, we're, we're being deliberately broad and seeing a lot of different things. So at this point, you'd say, like, you have really open ears for all kinds of different work. Yes. Okay. I have really open ears for You've all op- kinds of work. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, I, I, what I hope people will do um, in this room, they decide to apply and going forward, is also thinking, really thinking about, like, what is NPR? What is in your portfolio? Like, does your show rise to the kind of level of the standards in terms of reporting and production that people come to expect with NPR? Um, and so that's what I'm, now my goal is trying to get people there as well. Super helpful. Julie. A little bit about <laughs> yes, but huh. uh, what are you looking for? As, as Radiotopia has about what six, seventeen, seventeen yeah. podcasts at this point, um, are you looking to grow? And what are you looking for if you are? Not really. I mean, uh, it's, <laughs> it's honest. The, the thing about Radiotopia is, so mostly we've brought developed shows under the umbrella of Radiotopia to help them do better. So we try to help them do their best work by providing techno- like technology, marketing, promotional, so they can concentrate on the content. And you know, it's really like ramping up to sustain. So uh, there was one show, The Illusionist was one that was brand new when it came under uh, into Radiotopia. But generally, it started with shows that existed, and the ones that have come in have, have existed as well. Except for a year ago, plus, we deliberately said, okay, who's got an idea? We're going to run a contest. It was called PodQuest. And we had, like, crazy overwhelming response, 1,537 entries. I say that whenever I can in front of people. Um, and we picked one show. It's called Ear Hustle. It just launched a year later, right, like last week. So, um, so, you know, but this was, like, a real rare thing for us, and it needs a lot more um, input from us. But we're, we don't have a production arm, so we're not producing work at Radiotopia. So uh, it doesn't mean we wouldn't uh, listen to great new ideas, but generally, you know, we're going to grow slow, uh, we're not sort of out there scouting new shows. Uh, we do get ideas just through the website, and I, I listen to things, and I talk to a lot of people about their ideas. And, you know, it's just generally not a space that is open for attracting new ones. But, you know, what we can do is hopefully inspire people to think about their shows in different ways and, um, you know, maybe find other partners or help them find other partners if we see good matches and stuff. But you are going to be starting sort of a, a new element of what you do in, in getting yeah. opportunities for small series and Right, so we're one-offs. going to launch a show in August called Showcase, and it's a Radiotopia podcast that's going to feature limited series of all stripes, all different things from one to the next four to eight episodes. And this is really like open territory. It's an opportunity for us to experiment a little bit, work with new producers. These aren't like long-term network relationships, but we'll commission work up front pay people to make, you know, four to eight, two to ten, however many episodes you, you, uh, you 
suggest, um, and it's a little bit undefined right now. We've got a couple series lined up, and it's, a, it's, it's kind of an experiment to see if the audience will stick with us from one to the next, if it matters. Um, we were uh, very lucky to get some money from the Knight Foundation, who gave us specifically funding for a pilot fund. That's what PodQuest came out of, and this is the last sort of hurrah of the pilot fund is to start this showcase. So definitely open for ideas for that, and I would say the guidance in terms of what we're looking for. I just want original things, like I was talking about earlier. I want things that sound different from everything else, go different places, reach different audiences. That's one thing about Ear Hustle that's been so amazing is to like really um, hear from a new audience for Radiotopia shows. We just want to keep like playing in the space, pushing the boundaries and giving you know, smaller ideas an opportunity to see how they go. Great. Alex? Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, I would say that we're like a, a little bit in the opposite position. We're, we're, we're sort of all built about adding new shows to our roster, expanding. And um, we're, you know, I think what we're, we don't have like a particular subject area that we're interested in. We do fiction, we do nonfiction, we do narrative, we do other kinds of thing, things. I think what unites what we're looking for is like sort of the 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 um the spirit behind it and so what we look for is like we look for shows that are animated by curiosity we look for shows that are interested in um understanding uh not judging but just trying to figure stuff out like our our you know what we talk we we talk about our mission is to sort of help us understand ourselves in the world uh because that that's a belief I have about audio is that it is actually you can hear honest emotion in it and you can understand when you listen to my words but you don't see my voice you don't have any preconceptions about who I am based on my visual cues you just hear my words and then you create me in your mind and that act of creation sort of makes my words a part of you in a certain way and it helps you empathize with what I'm saying and vice versa and that's the power of audio audio has that power to be a very empathetic medium and, and so we're looking for shows that will, that will use that power. Um, and then we're looking for shows with ambition, with, like, that are going to be, that, you know, that are going to go, like, that are going to advance the form somehow. Um, you know, another big theory is that we are at the dawn of the second golden age of audio, right? Like, we are, this, the fact that it's on demand now, that you can find niche audiences, that you can do things in ways that... The same way that on-demand changed TV with like better TV and more interesting plots and more fully developed characters, the same thing is happening in audio. So we're looking for something that feels that is that is new. And then the final thing is that what works is um, is a passion for the material. Um, so there, the person involved has to have a real belief and a real drive to talk about the subject that they're talking about. And that's what we're looking for also. Like, it doesn't... If we don't necessarily need production experience, but we need, like... We want somebody who has, like, a drive to talk about a thing um, and, and, and wants to do that. And, and I think... And if they can do it and there's, like, a spark... We're looking for a spark. <laughs> and do you, you know, have a way yeah. for people to send you ideas? Yeah, on our, the GimlinMedia.com website, there's... There's a submission submission section, and you can sort of look at how, how to do that. But that's 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 what we're looking for. And we think about like we we have people submitting stuff from outside. We also do develop things internally, and we also try to partner with other kinds of talent that Great. we that we see if we see somebody doing something interesting out there. Like, hey, you want to do a podcast? You know, we'll do that too. Great. Yeah. Jenna. 
Um, well, I think one important thing to know about our four companies that we either own or work at um, is they're all really different and they're all looking for different kinds of things. And when we get pitches that are where it's like, we like to get pitches where it's obvious that somebody looked at what we do and um, wanted to, you know, and felt like their, their idea could work with what we do. Sometimes we get pitches where it's like, oh, this is obviously like someone who should be pitching to Gimlet <laughs> or like, you know, pitching to NPR. And so I think that that's an important thing when you're pitching a show is to like really understand what each company is doing, where your show might work best. Um, we are, we get a ton of pitches, whether we want them or not, um, to uh, our main email address. And I try to try to write back to all of them you know, and give some feedback. It gets harder and harder the more ideas we get. Um, I think that, I mean, we're looking for, for a few different things and it sort of keeps changing. At first we were like looking for things that would pay us money and so that we could build a company. And now we're at a place where we just like want to do stuff that seems really cool and interesting. Um, and, what I really look for is like really brand new ideas, like stuff that is just different than anything that's ever been done and that really experiments with the form of podcasting. Um, and also that brings in new voices to the space. So um, like, I don't know. I mean, and I like, I think that's also how podcasting itself is going to expand is like, we're, we're still missing a lot of audiences. Um, it's still, you know, to some degree, like, kind of a white guys club of people who host these shows um, and there's just so many different things we could be doing so I want to always keep trying to, to work with new voices um, I, when we started this sh when I was at BuzzFeed we started the show Another Round which is a really fun show if you haven't heard it, it's a good one <laughs> um, but when we started it like multiple people in podcast in like the podcast world were like but, like, are you really going to do this? Because, like, black people don't listen to podcasts. That was really something I heard, like, from many, like, people in the industry. And it was, like, it quickly had, like, tons of listeners and, like, a huge following. And I think that taking those risks is the only thing that's going to move this industry forward and really focusing on, on new audiences. So, um, yeah, so that's a lot of what we're doing. I can, I ask, can I ask you, and then Nick has a follow-up, um... How did you know, with another round, for instance, that Heaven and Tracy, that, that that show would be successful? If you just get those two girls in a room together <laughs> and they start talking, it's like you just want to hear them all day. So, but, I mean, and that's not always how it is. Like, there are a lot of people you work with and you really have to kind of, like, train them. But, um, but yeah, if, if that, like, early chemistry is there, it's just... They have a magical thing. <laughs> so... And that's a hard, like, I would never, if that were sent in as a pitch, I would never be able to, like, understand that on paper. So that's another thing I tell people when pitching is if you have an audio sample that you can send along, um, that's super helpful, even if it's, like, a one-minute trailer, just to get some sense of the voices and the style. Um, so, yeah, do that. Do you remember how that show came to you? I'm just using this as an example just of, of, of your process. Um, that show was, there was like somebody at BuzzFeed who had been working a little bit in audio um, and had been talking to them, to those two girls about doing a show. And, um, and then we did a whole kind of like sort of audition kind of thing where we talked, I mean, 
as you in the audience probably know, everyone wants a podcast right now. So we wanted to just like kind of audition different people who wanted shows. And a lot of that was just like putting them in a room and seeing what they could do together and seeing how much they really wanted to do it. Um, but that, yeah, that show, I don't know. We all just got so excited about it early on that we just sort of like decided to put everything into it. And um, yeah, it was, it's so, it's so good. <laughs> So, and there is an element to, like, you know when you hear it, is yeah, what you're definitely. saying. definitely. Yes. Yeah. Nick, you wanted to follow up. Uh, yeah, when you're evaluating for the shows that you want to consider taking on or a project picking up, like, to what extent do you sort of wait for the sellability or, or like, monetizability of that project? Like, is that a big part of how you're thinking about taking on these shows, if it can, like, sort of generate revenue for you? Or, like, how does that balance out on your overall portfolio? Who wants to? Um, Alex? Uh, yeah, so, like, um, w- we're, we're, we are a for-profit company, and so and, and what that means is that we, have, we can't not consider monetization. Um, but I don't think that there's any... Like, there, and, and it is true, there are certain categories that are e- more easily sellable than others. Um, but I think that there is a... And so we have to be cognizant of that fact, but that it in no way... But it doesn't... But also, I don't think you can necessarily predict like what is going to be the thing that takes off and what is going to be sellable and what is not going to be sellable. So I think you can get really caught up in sort of short-term thinking on that and just sort of be like, oh, we need to... And like, we have to think about that. You know, we have to like, sort of like have a certain number of shows sort of fit into like a sellable box. Um, but like, the way I think about that is to sort of like... You also want to... That is for the idea. So the idea is that then you can also sort of do things that maybe on the first blush aren't sellable, but then could be big and exciting, and you know that that could turn into like you know special properties that are really really great and make money. You know, like we have the, like the shows that are sort of like there. There doesn't seem to like there's there are there are lots of shows that like I would never have thought of that are going to make money that. To make good money, <laughs> so that's a little different for you, like Jenna, because like you yeah. you take project rates, right? Basically, yeah. So we um, we most of our projects we get kind of like paid a production fee. So I think that we think about things in like a few different buckets, and um, one of them is kind of like a lot of money branded stuff <laughs> and like that you can't really say no to. And the way that we think about that is like that stuff can fund a lot of the other stuff we want to do. So that stuff allows us to take risks. Um, And we do a few shows like totally pro bono, and that was always something we really wanted to do. Uh, We we do a lot of like consulting with um, like interesting, mostly leftist organizations uh, about like how to make their podcasts, and we do that stuff for free. So that's, so we, yeah, so we have like dumb money branded. We have, um, we have uh, like, like one one for them, one for me, one for, them, one. one for me. Yeah, <laughs> which um, I hope I'm allowed. To why, why is it dumb? Yeah, what, what do you call it? Dumb money. What? What? I heard somebody say in the audience. Why do you call it dumb money? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I'd be dumb to say no to it. That's kind of what I mean. Like, yeah. it would be dumb for me to, to like you know, and like it's 
And I actually, this is the truth, I'm not just saying this, I have fun doing the branded stuff, and we don't, we never wanted, like, we say no to branded stuff if we don't think it's going to be fun. So, like, a lot of it is just, like, us being like, what would be a cool show for, like, Google Play, which is a show we recently did, like, and we get to really, like, shape it and design it, and it's, it's fun. So, anyway, other buckets are, like, projects that this is a main thing we're we're hoping to do more of but like projects that just like feel so exciting that we can't say no to them um whether they like pay a bunch or don't (laughs) um and that's kind of like yeah that's sort of like where I'm what I'm most excited about right now is like I think there's just a lot of amazing stuff happening in the space so there's like like Hollywood directors and production houses are getting really interested in podcasts as kind of a way to like start um to like start an intellectual property uh, in like a you know a cheaper way for them um, that they then maybe turn into a film or whatever. So I'm psyched to be doing these like you know some like crazy like big budget Hollywood stuff that <laughs> I haven't done before. Um, so yeah, so I think we're we just sort of think about it as like as is a lot of it is like we got to find the money to like do the things that are riskier, and that's the main thing. I'm wondering with Nigeria, if, you know, working in public media, not profit organization, is this still an equation that you have to think about? Um, yeah, but um, in my department, I try to think about it way further down the line. Um, I think our business development people would be very happy if that was our first question, is like, cool idea, how do we monetize it? Um, but I think that, like, um, you know, doing that would mean saying no to some things, like, if you look at invisibility, it's like, hey, they pitch me today. It's like, hey, it's eight episodes. You know, you have to wait a year between seasons, and we need a, set, a staff of like six people. We'd be like, no, but that would be dumb because invisibility is an amazing show. Um, so you can't only think about that. Um, and you know, I think we have the luxury of being able to wait, and especially when you, we're looking at like, what is um, the main driver for this? It's, is it good? And we also think it could really sell to money maker. That's fine. But is it good? And we think it's like it's a play to get more diverse audiences. It's like we don't necessarily need it to also then be this huge money maker. Um, and in some shows, we could say like, all right, maybe look at this model. Does it make money the first year? But can it make money the second year? You know. And so we think about that and think about all those options. So I'm wondering, you know, some you know, people out here have ideas um, and they want to take a first step. What is that first step? Before they should even before they should even talk to you, why don't we start with you, Julie? Um, what should they be doing? Well, I think what I'm finding is there's a really big difference between like a great idea and something that is actually a sustainable show over time. And that's one reason I'm so excited about showcases because I hear really great ideas that are sometimes really just four or to eight episodes. And so I think like before you approach any of us with an idea for a show, it's really thinking like. Oh, what's the second season? What's the arc of that? What's the hundredth episode of this? Somebody willing, right? Um, and, and also maybe just planning a finite thing. Does it have to keep going on and on? I'm very interested in all these experiments with length and duration and you know, everything from the Oprah podcast was just three episodes to you know, how can things be sustained? What's the shelf life? So really it comes back to a little bit about ambition, I think, and the scale of the idea to the project, but really thinking about that, you know, what's the appropriate scale of this idea that you're starting up. Anybody else want to weigh in on like first steps, what people should do when they, once they have an idea, where do they go? I, I, I'm a big believer in, in, just, in just trying to do it. Uh, the, the thing about beginning, 
Here, there's, there's the problem with being a beginner and the, and the great thing about being a beginner. The problem about being a beginner is that you don't know shit and it's going to suck. Uh, and it just will. And everybody's stuff sucks in the beginning. Even when you're, like, you've been doing it for a while, your stuff sucks. I am writing an episode of Startup right now. And, like, the first draft was awful. And I had all the people telling me, like, this sucks. And I was like, I know, it sucks. You would think by now I would know how to do it, and I do not. Uh, so your stuff is going to suck. Um, but the good thing about being a beginner is that you don't really know how hard it is, and you've got all this energy, and do it. Just, just try, and, and then get somebody to listen to it and like, give you honest feedback. And that is the only way that you would get from sucking to not sucking. Um, and there's structured ways of doing that. There's like things that like transom, uh, where you can sort of go and like take classes and apply for fellowships and stuff like that. There's online resources, but like nothing is better than like trying to do something, playing it for your meanest, bitchiest friend, and being like, "Do you like it?" <laughs> and then having them be like, "It's really boring. This is really boring, and this part's really boring." And then trying it again. And if you can get your meanest, bitchiest friend to like it, then you're onto something. So I think that is, I, I, like, the I tell this story sometimes, like the the the. The thing that got me maybe into, sort of catapulted me into this career was very, very early on. I had like done a little bit of work in, like, in Chicago Public Radio and like I'd done some stuff. And then I was like, and I had this friend who was, who had, was turning 30. And I was like, I'm going to make a little audio presentation for, for his 30th birthday. And so I interviewed, because he was like sort of this perpetually youthful guy and I could not believe that he was, none of, none of us could believe he was actually 30. Like, oh my God, what an old man. And... Uh, <laughs> And so I was like, so I did this, like, sort of like I recorded, I talked to all his friends and I cut it together and I got this, this American Life scoring library and I scored it. And, uh, and then I played it for him and it was like, and everybody liked it and I like, and I learned all this stuff about like duration and length of time and pacing and all this stuff, making this stupid, you know, sort of like birthday present for my friend. And that was like, and I, and I don't know, like, I honestly don't think if I hadn't done that, if I would have had like, it gave me something, it gave me like a little sense of like, Oh, I sort of get this a little bit, and that's sort of what got me going. So, just I, I guess I'm saying what Nike says: just do it. I don't know. And this that was not Nike. granted. Yes, exactly. Thank you, Nike. Yes. Uh, and Jenna, uh, once you've done this experimentation, when do you bring it to? You know, when do you send it to the portal? Like, at what point along the process do you know that you're ready? Send it later than you think you should. Um. <laughs> We get a lot of like very half-assed pitches where it's like people write to us and they're like, I sort of have this idea, but like maybe you can help me figure it out. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> That's never going to be my job. Uh, so, yeah, so just like think about it longer. And also what Alex was saying is like, the, like get, yeah, do your own thing and like get your, you know, start making stories for your friends if you're interested, it, like for your friends and their shows and you know if you're interested in this industry you just have to start doing it um I think like that's how a lot of us got started is just like just by doing it and it can be really frustrating at first but this is a super booming industry and once you're past a beginner level if you're interested in being a producer the job market is insane for you like we're all fighting for the same people right now it's like it's sort of like going into like brain surgery or like some kind of weird like engineering that like is doing really well I don't know what that is 
so can, it, can we can we unpack that a little more? Yeah. Uh, because I, I think I mentioned this during dinner. Like I hear two things at the same time a lot. Yep. On the one hand, I'm hearing a lot of sort of companies and publishers saying that like there's not enough people to hire, and I'm also hearing that there's a lot of people looking for jobs. So what is the sort of what? What do people need to be, in your estimation, in order to get those jobs? Well, the people looking, uh, most, a lot of people like really looking for jobs who aren't finding them are beginners, and we're all beginners at some point. Um, and it is, it's, it's a hard industry to stay in at, at first because you're not finding jobs. Um, and so that's why getting to that like even intermediary level where you've you know done interesting projects, even if it's like for your friends, like weird, you know, uh, like furniture company. Like if you did like a podcast for them that sounded good, like we might hear it and be like, oh, that's cool. Um, or like you're good at this. So I think like the people, who, it's hard to get a job as a beginner as it is, I think, in like most fields. But really you're so valuable once you have the skills in this field. It's growing so much faster than than like the staffing can keep up with basically. Um, so if you guys are in, I don't know, like, totally what, you know, like, why everyone's here, but if you're interested in, if you're interested in being a producer, it, it couldn't be a better time. So I have two quick, quick things to say. One is, like, um, a lot of the development of ideas is about iteration and, like, really taking the time to iterate and try things and try new things, and it, it just takes time. I think some people think, I've got the idea, I kind of know how to use a microphone, I'm going to make this, but the truth is, like, all of us have you know, many of you have been in this field for years and years, and by hook or crook, you connect the dots and you do, you volunteer here and you work as an intern there. I mean, it's, it's kind of the age-old, how do you get into public radio? You start as an internship, but it really takes working amongst people doing this and learning from others, and um, that leads me to my second um, piece of advice, which would be partner up, because doing this on your own is so hard. It is so much work, and I even see a lot of our producers who work on their own, like really getting to burnout because they don't have someone else to help prop them up and get them through the rough spots. And if you can find one or two other people who care as much as you do about this idea and really from the start bake in a few different approaches, different sets of ears for editing and feedback, it, it's, I think it's really important. I think it's really hard to do by yourself. So um, that would be like maybe my number one advice is like find, find a team to, to bring it forward with. Can we do like a quick poll in the room? Uh, clap if you're looking for a job at a podcast company. <laughs> clap if you're not looking for a job at a podcast company. If you're looking for a job... But maybe and they're brain surgeons. That's clap why if you're a brain surgeon. More than half the room is, in, is, is not looking for I'll a job. See I'll see you. Uh, <laughs> no, we want to hire. You can't hire too. Yeah. Too, okay. much, too okay. much competition. I think that's a pretty good cue for us that we need to go out to the audience. So, Maya, if I can find you. Um, Maya's wandering. There she is. I see her now uh, with the mic. And I want to give you an opportunity um, to raise your hand and ask questions. And we have someone right away. Standing up would be great when you ask a question. Hi. Um, so it seems like most people listen to the same sort of really prominent podcasts and podcast companies. And I don't know, just my impression is that there's not a huge audience for really niche podcasts. So if you're just starting out and you're interested in sort of like creating work that people hear, um, is there a route other than like getting into Gimlet or Radiotopia or getting into one of those like big, big uh, organizations or, or, or companies? 
Uh, I, I mean, well, yeah, I, I, I think there is. I think there, like, it's, um, you know, I, I, we, you know, like, we will see sort of shows that don't, that sort of come from nowhere and sort of can, like, shoot up the, the charts and do something like that happens a lot of the time. Like the most recent example that I can think of is, I mean, I'm sure there's more, but like this podcast up and vanished, which like was a, it's sort of like a true crime and it's a documentary filmmaker. didn't really have much backing and he sort of like started doing this as a passion project and it sort of like shot up the charts. Um, like, I, I, yeah. I was just saying, call your girlfriend is another one. Yeah. That's, yeah. 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 <laughs> Absolutely, right? Yeah, and yeah. they just did like a bunch of like smart marketing, um, yeah, themselves, and now it has a huge listenership. Uh huh. <laughs> <Sure>. Audience <laughs> saying because we call our girlfriends. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted. No, no, that's good. no, that's good. I don't think anything's you know in it, going through the network certainly helps, but another way to think of it is starting smaller, finding your audience, growing. You know, getting loyalty, like really working for the people you're making the show for. I mean, knowing who your audience is or who you want your audience to be is really important as well. And I think maybe there's kind of a fantasy about getting into the top ten of the charts. And, like, the the focus on numbers is something we talked about a little bit on our phone. Like, the um, success rates based on metrics and numbers. Like, I think producers think about that more than certainly they did in the first ten years we ran Third Coast. There weren't those you didn't care about the numbers so much. You were really focused on the content. And now you can't help but notice the numbers and be invested and pay attention. But it's distracting, really, and it can be demoralizing even. And so, you know, it's really like, I think slow and steady wins the race a bit. You start, you make great work, people hear about it, they tell their friends. You know, that, that's the other route, I think, if you don't have an in, if you don't necessarily get picked up by a network right away. And you knock on doors. You don't be shy. You email all of us. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, you know, you tell your friends. You join your local... Uh, New York radio club people like it's really such a word of mouth thing that I think like you have to be equal parts respectful but also a little pushy in a charming way to get people and and find that niche audience and really make it available to them and then you know grow from there a little bit I come from um, documentary film and so like it's really interesting interesting to be with NPR people talk about you know rankings and numbers and revenue I'm like whoa, things make money? That never happens in documentary film. And so I'm still very much, in, I think, in the mind of, like, of the kind of small independent producers where it's like, number one, you have to make really great content, and then you have to know who you're making that content for. And, you know, if you're making great content, people will find it. People who, like, you know, if you're not making great content, people will not find it. It's that simple. And so I don't, I think as long as you um, really think of realistic goals to set for yourself, like, I, like don't, be like, I want my podcast to launch in the top ten of iTunes. Like, just think about who you want to reach and make make small, steady progress. Because there's plenty of independent producers who are actually um, doing really well because they're making content that connects with their audiences. Sorry. And a thing to focus on, I think, is sort of like, the, here's the way you can tell if something is successful or, or, or not, independent of, like, the raw numbers, is sort of like, are, are people, is the, is the number growing? And, like, if the number is not growing, then there, you should think about what you're doing. You're probably doing something wrong. Um, you know, seriously. And, like, and I think, you know, I, I think have ambition and also have humility. If you're beginning in this, the chances that you're going to, like, do it right the first time are very, very slim. And, like, so, so listen to what you're seeing. We do. It's, like, humbling. But, like, we'll, have, we'll launch things and the, the, the number doesn't go up. 
and like we're, we did something wrong, you know. Um, so so, but if the number is going up, then you're doing something right and keep doing it, and then eventually the number will get big enough that either you'll be fine or somebody will notice you because we are definitely looking. Like everybody's everybody, we're all looking, you know, for like people out there who are doing something cool. Yeah, and and we're partially like, you know, like in the businesses of like looking for hits because we're looking for things that can like make money for a company as well as be like, you know, cool and exciting. But I think that podcasting is one of the like only spa- real spaces where you can just like attract a small but like very dedicated audience to one specific issue. Like if you have the podcast on quilting and like like and you get all the people who are like super into quilting and then you like go to a quilting company and you're like give me 200 bucks an episode to like sponsor this and I'll talk about how awesome you are for like a full 2 minutes every episode or whatever like there's really a lot of opportunity there I think yeah. um and so just you know just because like a big network might not want it doesn't mean that it's not super like awesome and valuable um but at the same time fully acknowledging that's incredibly hard to do the whole thing by yourself right and it's also interesting because you mentioned the word niche in your in your question it's it's kind of it's kind of like the definition of the word that you're gonna niche has a cap to it um and if you're starting a project and in your mind the aspiration here is to build out a business around that niche like really consider how you're gonna extract value and feed yourself uh, because there's one thing to like charge a, a quilting company $200 a spot. It's another thing to be able to handle and bring in enough volume or like find another way to monetize it. Um, but I think it's also really important that like you be very clear about what you're willing to give up <laughs> and, what, and what you're willing to sort of do in order to achieve a certain goal. But you have to be really clear about that goal. And the goal is, again, to a network. I, I would say you, that you have to think about your, your, what you have as a product that you're selling them. And they need to understand and know how to extract that value from you and exploit you in a collaborative way. You know. <laughs> Keeping it real over here, Nikwa. Thank you. You're such a good fact checker. Apologies. <laughs> do this on many panels. Uh, we have some que- more questions. Please stand up. Thanks. Hi. Um, my name is Jackie. I do. I produce a show about recovery, and I'm wondering what platforms you recommend for marketing, specifically for audio, because what I find is uh, we have a huge following on our Facebook page where I can get you know, X number of likes on an inspirational meme, and yet when it then comes to actually getting the listener numbers, they're different. And a lot of times I'm finding that the people who are engaging with us on Facebook still don't actually know how to listen to a podcast. They're listening to clips that we post online, but they're not actually subscribing. So what, what methods do you recommend to actually make one connect to the other? You're, you're asking a question that obsesses us on a, yeah. daily, on a daily basis. And, 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 and we have, we, if you find the answer, please let us know. There, there, it, there doesn't seem to be... So it's... Because of the way that podcasting is consumed, most of the time you're listening, you're, you're, it's the one thing you can do while you're doing something else. So a lot of times, if I'm listening to... It's the one type of digital media where the phone's in your pocket while you're doing it. Um, it's the one thing you can do while you're doing something else. So, because, so like the sphere of your, t- of your life where you're on Facebook and the sphere of your life where you're listening to podcasts almost never overlaps. Um, so it's very hard to drive people from Facebook to podcasting. The way... 
to get new people listening is to find them where they're listening. It's like they used to say the, the way to get people to watch your television show is to advertise on television. It's the same thing. with That's the number one way that we found is to sort of like find people where they're already listening, try to get in front of those listeners. Yeah, you do a, like a promotion, like a promo trade with his quilting show. Yeah. And like <laughs> you, it, and that's like, yeah, that is like the thing that works. I mean, this yeah, this is the hardest question. And there's... I think a lot of people right now are working on like podcast discoverability. Um, no one's really figured it out, so I hope somebody does. Uh, but yeah, I mean, also I think it's important to always think about like the time commitment when you're asking someone to listen to a show. Like, looking at a meme takes half a second, and like listening to a, a full show takes forty minutes or whatever. So, or even um, figuring out how to listen to that, which yeah, just can be totally. really confusing. I mean, it's one thing to talk to people already listening but if they're not listening yet how actually do you do that you like sometimes walk people through it I did that recently with my mom um, you know and it worked and she she heard an episode and texted me about it, it was amazing um, but I think it's it's like there's still a hurdle there it, it took her this long you've been, <laughs> well, how long have you been in the game how long have you been in the game she's my mom <laughs> it's um, like literally you've been doing this for 15 years and your mom finally <laughs> Okay, let's clear the record here. She did find the Kitchen Sisters Gold Award winner, first year Third Coast, and listened to it online. All right. Yes. As, every, as everyone should. Uh, but yeah, she hadn't. I tried the podcasting thing and it hadn't worked. But um, the point is, it's really hard to get over that first hurdle. And I think every app out there is trying to be the one that helps people do that. And, you know, some are uh, being formed specifically t- around discoverability, not so much around serving veterans of podcast listening, but really trying to be. The, the technology that helps people in and, and is not intimidating and is clear. And it's just, it's still pretty complicated. It's gotten so much better and easier, but it's still pretty complicated. So, I mean, I love um, Criminal, one of the Radiotopia shows. They have a really big, obvious tab that says, how do I listen? You know, and they just walk you through. It's, like, very clear. So if people hear about it and go to the website, there's some uh, help right there. Ira did a great video about, you know, like, explaining, you know, what is a podcast, how to get there. So we still got a... Oh, great. <laughs> Probably got a few listeners from that. I mean, it's just still a challenge, as, as Alex said, that we all think about all day long. Did you want to say, did you want to say anything? No, it's okay. hard. Okay. <laughs> well, it's just hard. That's, 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 I'm just reading it's hard. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, Nick, this is maybe a place you can weigh in. I mean, I mean, you were asking for about a specific podcast, but then I think it started branch out to like people listening to podcasts, period. What are some of the things that get in the way of people actually listening to podcasts and podcast numbers growing? I always felt like the answer to the question is more universal than something that's specific to the medium, right? Like, the biggest thing I hear about podcasts is that it's hard to listen to. Um, But it's also pretty hard to buy a car. And it's also pretty hard to, like, figure out why I'm watching a YouTube video other than just being sucked into the vortex of nothingness. Um, and so, like, I think, I think all of that is just excuses in a lot of ways. Um, podcasting is not a sort of, like, small, like a nibble medium. Not in the way that Twitter is, not in the way that YouTube clips are. Um, it's like a deep dive. It's you buy a ticket, and that ticket is your time. And you sit there, or you walk around, and you, you kind of give yourself to, to that. Um, and the way it's, I've been sort of thinking about this, and I'm, I haven't really sort of built up a, a sort of mind map about this, but... It's the how you'd figure out how to bring somebody into a theater is probably how you bring somebody into a podcast. And so all the same questions apply. Is, is this sexy enough? Is this going to pull people enough? It's not a you go to that person medium, it's they come to you. How do you get people to come to you? Yeah. Um, I think if you're a single person in New York, 
that question might be something you grapple with on another level every day. And so maybe, you, like, I think the thing about Andreas Lanzi and her show YOY is I think that she, like, she, like, really channels and sort of understands and thinks about that question a lot on a bunch of different levels. Mm-hmm. And I feel there's a lot of extractable lessons from that. Um, I, my, my biggest issue, I, sort of reading the space, is that not a lot of people are trying enough to say, come to me, come to me, come to me. And you know. I just want Permission. you to let everyone know that I actually am a podcast um, proselytizer and that I, wherever I am on an airplane or wherever I might be, I am getting one more person to... <laughs> Start listening to podcasts. But which I podcast, Johanna? I don't just podcasts in general. I ask. I have a whole way I talk with them. I say, well, "What do you like to listen to on NPR?" I usually start there, and then I kind of like, "Okay, now you can listen to it anytime you want to," and listen to back episodes. And then I ask them a few questions about themselves. But I do think at the pace that I'm going with people, it's not. You're not going to be seeing it, Nick, on the numbers. But anyway. You wanted to say something? Uh, I, I just, oh, just oh, to follow Alex. up with a small rant of my own on Nick's point. Like, I agree. Like, I think there's like this whole thing. It's a very in vogue to say podcasts, podcasting discoverability is broken and it's too hard and blah, blah, blah. Facebook is hard. Like, I am baffled by Facebook. Me too. I, like, it, you got to like log on. You got to find your friends. Like, there's a whole thing. And yet all our parents are on that too much. And so, like, <laughs> like it's, it's, podcasting is just as easy as Facebook. Um, and you got to give again. You got to be a people reason. Also, discoverability. The Apple, the Apple charts. Like they could just be raw numbers, and it would be like Joe Rogan and NPR across the board forever. <laughs> and like, and and instead, they've done a really nice thing where they have this weird, inexplicable algorithm that we're all trying to figure out. I have come to love like, the algorithm. Fr- I really yeah, come like, to love the algorithm that I both hate velocity. and love. But like, but it's but it actually sort of like propels like things that are like your podcast. It's it's going to go from one to seventy, and then that's going to get shot up the charts, and that aids discoverability. So I, I also they do it for free. So there's like all these things that I'm like I don't know, man. I, it's like anyway. I think I thought about this a lot. Sorry about that. There's also a point where a particular podcast is going to be the tipping point for people, and I'm kind of curious. I'd love to take a poll. Like, what was the one that was like your first podcast that brought you in, or you know, what is it that takes that extra push for someone to make that extra effort after they've heard about podcasts? I mean, I guess in the larger uh, population of people who aren't regular listeners, I think it, they have to be personally invested in something, which means shows that speak to specific people, and maybe it's incumbent on us to make those shows that reach out beyond our regular listeners and touch different audiences to like to bring them in and then the numbers grow so it's, it's just a combination of so many things really yeah can we actually hear from if you want to just is this okay if people just like yell a little about i mean don't like yell but just i i am curious to know like what podcast really your like gateway yeah like what was your gateway what really brought you in okay that's my question not a podcast Safe space. Oh, night bell. Wait, can we go like this? Have a Friday. Radio Lab. Okay, face radio. Night bell. And all those happy hours. Water Okay. Some kind of thing. Strangers. How did this get made? The heart. Oh, so you're new. Yeah. Welcome. Give a round of applause. Okay, so no cereal, and that was the show that. Oh, one, I thought just debunked the biggest myth of the like the biggest podcast myth ever. Yes, history made tonight. 
my sense of things, but I don't know, Nick, if you have any information about this. My sense of things was that Serial was the show, because so many millions and millions and millions and millions of people listened, uh, was a show that kind of burst into the atmosphere show that, you know, got people from it being sort of like, oh, the real niche thing podcast to, have you heard Serial? Is that not true? As far as you know? I, I think it's definitely true. I, I, there is a lot of incentive from, I, I feel, from other people within the community who are veterans to dispute that narrative. But I, I do think it's a very true narrative. Um, but I also think the more interesting question here is that how many of those people went on to listen to other podcasts? Right. I think that number is actually pretty quite, is yeah. quite low. Um, and I think your, the finding that you guys had in the first season of Startup was super interesting. The fact that a bunch of people listening to Startup that just did not hear about Serial... Um, I, to this day, I get tweets. Literally, I can pull out my like. I get tweets every day. I'm like, hey, listen to episode ten of like season one of Startup, which aired three years ago. Never heard of Serial. <laughs> like to this day, every single day. I, I also had this like really sort of very sort of working suspicion. So if you take the Edison research numbers uh, that suggest that most people listen to the people who are, uh, consider themselves active podcast listeners listen to three or four. And you look at a number of podcasts that just have significant numbers of downloads or unique downloads, we're talking about a lot of people who walk around in podcast universes that do not overlap. And I think that's super interesting. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. not a lot of people are talking about that. Also, no, 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 no Pod Save America, no revisionist history, nobody... Those are pretty yeah. new, yeah. though. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to say the name of the podcast I'm not sure how public this information is, but yeah, there's like one of our top podcasts, which someone in the crowd said, I won't say who, like... There's no crossover. Like people listen to that NPR podcast and no other NPR podcast, which is really Could interesting. You give a hint. I, I said it was already. It was someone mentioned it in the in the in that <laughs> podcast wave that just happened. Um, but also the other interesting thing that we are are dealing with is, you know, Jada mentioned like one of the best ways to get people to listen to podcasts is cross promotion, and that is great. Like we have a lot of great popular podcasts, and but the thing is, like then you only get already existing audiences listening to new properties and so how it takes so much more effort to get to the new audiences that you want to reach which is you know the problem that you're having your recovery podcast is still a problem that like all of us are having at a different level okay great thank you for all of those oh we have one more question okay in this section anyone inspiring hey <laughs> hey Hey, um, all of you guys are amazing. Obviously, we're all here. Um, but the, you know, uh, so I'm a behavioral economist, and I wonder about the physicality of subscribing to new medium. So it's not just about putting buds in your ears, but it's about bending your body to sound as you go about your daily life. Certain podcasts are extra sticky. Another round, for example. Um, other things, for example. Um, but as a human animal population, uh, I'm just sort of saying, like, not everyone is on board with the buds. Well, it. I think there is a little bit of a generational thing that, that happens there, but uh, Julie, um, did you have something not to say done. about like, um, No, go ahead. What, finish up. What were you going to say? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so my thing is that like you guys are gatekeepers, like king, kings and queens of the silos. And 
podcasting is uh, like a community endeavor. How do you guys negotiate that in terms of making money and in terms of making sound? I'm actually like a, a princess. They're the kings and queens. Just like a court jester. Court jester. No, that's me. Um, anybody? Well, one thing I was thinking about is, you know, uh, the sound is like one of the most important things for me always. It's the background of Third Coast. It's, it's something that's always been really important to me. And it came to me through like an obsessive music love. And so I, I feel like sound isn't something that is we have to train people or suggest or invite people into because I think music is, is such an early instinct and, every, you know, I, I think we all grew up with music to some degree, some more than others, but, you know, so it's actually um, just figuring out a priority and, and how much, you know, personally, I listen to so much less music and it's a really sad thing for me because I'm listening to so many podcasts, but, but it isn't, you know, I'm spending as much time listening, it's just it's shifted into what it was, so... I feel like in some ways we're lucky. We're lucky because people have been so used to exercising to music and commuting to music and walking to music that it's just a shift over into this, this new content that, that we're, we're trying to pull them into. And maybe if we all use music even better, you know, the two, the two universes meet. meet. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's as much a, a, a retraining around sound as a, as a sort of habit forming and making the time and figuring out now with the volume. I think that's one of the biggest problems is, like, the volume of content out there. How do you actually even figure out what, how do you make room for the new stuff without dropping the, your, your favorites from a year ago. So that's just one thought. Great. Thank you. So I'm going to move on to the, the sort of the next section about what success looks like in making a podcast, both from a, a content and from a numbers point. We've talked about numbers some already, but let's, we, I think we should really get into it. But because I care so much about content and Third Coast does, I want to talk about what success looks like in a, of a podcast um, based on the, the, the quality of it, of it, the programming, how, what does that sound like to each of you? Anybody? That's such a hard question. Um, I, I want to preface this by saying, like, what success for NPR looks like is not the success for everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really important to, to say. Um, and, you know, I talked about this a little bit earlier in that, like, we don't have set numbers for, like, set metrics for every single podcast to hit because every single podcast is different. And, like, you know, from a lot of podcasts, like, we want, you know, different kinds of audiences and different kind of people coming to it. So um, it's, it, it really is on a podcast-by-podcast basis. And so success for us is just a strong pro- product. And then um, we hope that we don't lose money on it. Ideally, we would make money, but at the very least, if it's bringing in... Um, younger listeners or more diverse listeners, we can break even. Like, I, you know, I, I don't, I, I, we really push back hard on trying to have set, like, success metrics. And if we can get, a, I mean, I know it's really hard to, to not think just about audience and, and, um, and, num- and money, but in just terms of, like, sound quality, the kind of thing that you want, you know, that you think sounds good, that for you meets some standard of good, you know, this is good radio. This is good podcast. What do, what does that sound like to you? From where you're each sitting on your various you know networks. And I just things. think a lot about using the medium. So what actually sounds like sound and isn't just you know a printed piece read out loud or monologues or, or this. So so work that's textured and 
um, creates an emotion experiential sense, not just informational. So for us, the dimensional work is really important. Um, I think we we think about success both in terms of the audience, are we reaching new people, but also in terms for Radiotopia, we really care about the producers. Are they fulfilled by what they're doing? Are they um, succeeding in the ways they want to? Because it's important for us to help them do that. So we focus a lot on audience, but I also try to think about the producers all the time. And you know, being in touch with 17 different producers that all have different shows, different ambitions, different budgets, different staff, you know, like that's a constant thing. Um, but I think it, it comes back to us, like, you know, clearly good recordings, clarity, um, solid writing, evocative things. Um, just, the, just the things that I think about the judging list we would go through with her, because like, what are we actually listening for in the pieces in the end? Um, sometimes it's intangible too, right? It's, a, it's a, something that's conveyed and responded to in a way. Um, and it all pulls together, and it's distinct, and it has a, a voice that's identifiable, and it's something that brings listeners back time and again. I mean, I think there's there's a couple ways of answering that question. There's, but I think there's just um, there's a quality of like when you're listening to something and that you're that you're just leaning in, um, and that you that you're not gonna turn off. Uh, that's that's what we're looking for a lot. Like that's what I want. Um, I want that. And and there's a bunch of reasons that you might be doing that. I think I think there's like. Broadly, there's a, there's a couple different reasons that people listen to podcasting, and, and a lot, sometimes it has to do with, like, companionship. They, there's, like, you listen to this, like, you know, you listen to Joe Rogan because, like, Joe Rogan is, like, fun to be around, and, like, he's your friend, and, like, he has funny conversations, and, like, there's, like, that, like, you, that, you listen to Call Your Girlfriend, you listen to, like, another round, like, a lot of that is just, like, I just, I get to feel like I'm Heaven and Tracy's friend, and, like, that's so fun. Uh, Oh, and then a lot of times, like, this is NPR specialty, like, you listen because you're going to learn something. And I think that's a huge part of the reason. Like, you get to feel like I'm multitasking, I'm on the way to work, and I'm self-improving on the way, and, like, look at me. And, uh, and then uh, I think stuff you should know is a big category on that. Like, I think there's just, like, you get to feel like, oh, I'm getting smarter, you know, in my spare time. And, um, and then, you know, the other obvious big bucket is, like, just narrative. Like, people, like, want to be told a good story, and that's been something that's been true since we've been, you know, cave people. So, uh, so I think, and then, and then you just, and then I think there's some element that you just want to be surprised. So. Um, okay, since I talked just about numbers, I will say that, um, um, like, Julie, I listen to podcasts all the time. It actually took me, like, two months to listen to all the New Tribe album because I could only listen to it, like, one song at a time. It was really depressing. Um, and so for me, like, uh, like, like, success in terms of, like, sound is, like, something that feels transformative, um, that makes you, like not, like, not think about that. You're in your car sitting in traffic. But it's, like, there is something happening. There are stories telling, taking place that, is you're learning something new that you never had before, or you're developing in this relationship with this person who's just you just want to spend all this time with, um, and go back to week to week. To me, that's that is really successful. And, and I know when I think, when I love a podcast, I listen to like six podcasts, maybe, no, maybe like twelve podcasts a week that are new, and I can listen to one episode. But if I want to listen to two, that feels a little bit yeah. like like generous, yeah. and I'm like, oh yes, like this is these people are onto something. Yeah. Um, can I say one last thing, which is I think if you're compelled to share it with someone, that's a really good sign of success. 
Um, and I feel compelled to tell you all. I hope it's okay. I listened to the most recent 74 Seconds episode that dropped yesterday, and I felt compelled to say, like, hey, you got to take eight minutes out of your day and listen to this inventory of Philando Castile's car. That's all it was. It was a list of things that were in his car at the time of the shooting, and, like, that surprised me and gripped me, and I felt like I have to share this with, you know... That show's unbelievable. That's yeah. been a joy to listen to. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. like I mean, Agreed. not a joy. It's been like horrible and tragic, but it's like been a. <laughs> yeah. But it's been like, just like very. I w- it was just very exciting to see that, you know, the way they handled that, the way they did it. And I think like what I because I keep an eye on all of the, all of the Radiotopia social. It's really it's really interesting when people say like this episode got me and they put it out there for other people and I think it speaks volumes when someone isn't just moved to like something but moved to like really actively say something about it. Um, it's why the iTunes reviews, Apple Podcast reviews, get you know requested so much. Um, and you know, it, it to me that is just like a sign of something working and something we pay attention to and, and appreciate a lot. And so do the producers. I can I can tell you that much. So. Do you think it's much different than what makes a radio show successful from a content standpoint? Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for jumping in. uh, I mean, I think we were just talking about this back. I I think there's like, there's two, like, there's also like, there's like a sort of passive listening, which is sort of like something that's on and you can sort of tune in and out. And I think radio is really good at that. And then there's active listening, which is sort of like where you're choosing to listen. I think some podcasts are sort of like, passive listening podcast like you're sort of like you got it on and like you you can tune out but then you can tune back in and you can still get value out of it and that's fun and and it's sort of like it's keeping you company while you're doing the dishes but then there's another kind of content that is very active where you're just leaning in and you just want to hear what's happening and you're just sort of like you know like you're you're just like gripped Um, and I think that's I mean radio can do that but I think that's podcasting specialty, and I think you can do that sort of like over time in more complicated, more narrative ways. When we were on the radio, we would try to do series every once in a while, and like it was just impossible. You had to like, you couldn't depend on people being tuning in at the right time, and you had to like spend half the time just sort of like catching them up in the intro. And now you can you can never have done serial, you could never have done startup, you could never have done seventy four seconds I, you know what I mean like you couldn't have done any of these things that like now everybody's doing so yeah generally speaking I don't think there's anything that podcasts can do that so I don't think there's anything radio can do that podcasts can't um, I don't think that's true the other way around so let's get to those numbers because I think for the people who are thinking about starting a podcast one thing is to make a really great podcast about something that you're that you're you know, very, very passionately interested in. But the other thing is that you have to support yourself in, in some kind of way. So, you know, the question is, how many people do you need to have listening so that you can sell ads, so that you can make some money? Like, where, what's the lower point and, and how much money can you make at that point? Um, well, Sarah Saracen, who used to be the managing editor at NPR One, uh, used to say... You know, if your podcast can get can get to twenty thousand downloads per episode, you can start making money. You're not going to like pay all your rent, but that's just, I think that's a low end number. She said where people can start making money. Uh, oh, I'd, I'd love to see her. you. You go first, please. No, 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 no. Um, I was going to say de- <laughs> I was going to say depends where you live, right? Because um, that it isn't it is hard to make money. I think I hear fifty thousand batted about. You know, I don't know how someone in this room approaches Squarespace and says, will you fund my podcast, I think. But one thing that is probably untapped is going to local businesses that aren't the big brands and saying, I remember um, Neighbors is a podcast out of 
Nashville, I think, and you know, hearing the local burrito company on that one, I'm not, I may not, ever, I'll probably never go there, but I love hearing that support. Or how to be a girl had a cupcake company supporting them, and I found that really compelling and powerful. And I think like that angle, um, you know, podcasting's out there enough that most. I think you could you could do a hard sell or a soft sell and, and, and still find local support and not worry necessarily about tapping into the X number of brands that you've all heard a lot of sponsorships on the um, already on the shows you listen to. Do you either of you at, um, in for profit feel like there's a sort of a lower number at which you can start, you know, at least breaking even? I mean, well, I, I, it depends on sort of what kind of podcast you're doing, you know, and, and I think if, like, we do, for better or for worse, very expensive podcasts, um, and that's sort of our niche, that's sort of our brand, and so, uh, and so we have, like, pretty large teams, and so we need pretty large audiences in the hundreds of thousands to make it sustainable, yeah, um, but, uh, but if you're, if, if it's, if, if you... If you have the good fortune to be the kind of person who can turn on the mic and you're, you can compel people, um, you don't need that much. You, you can be, you know, you can, you can, you know, you can get to 50,000 and probably find somebody to sell some ads for you and, and you could make it, make a decent living. Um, yeah. Nick, you wanted to weigh in here? Oh. So it really depends on the monetization structure that you're using. And to you'd say that in, in like normal English, it depends on how you, how you want to make money. So um, it depends on the show that you have. If you, if you pursue an advertising route, never forget that the thing that you're selling to advertisers are the people that are that listening to you. And so they, advertisers have to find what you have valuable in order to give you money, right? Like that's the whole idea behind the economy. Um, and so like if you say run an extremely niche but highly valuable show, for example, I, I once spoke to a person who does like a software engineering podcast that's, that's like really boring and snails for a person who does not like develop uh, like apps or whatever. Um, he averaged about 6,000 uh, listeners per episode uh, daily um, that when I spoke to him, and he was able to sell it at a very, very high rate because he, can, he, he knows that those people are really, really valuable to certain kinds of advertisers, right? So you just have to sort of apply that thinking into everything that, that you're applying to, that, that you're sort of like making at your own end. If you're making something that's general, I feel like if you're not trying to sell ads yourself, which is something that you should actually try to consider doing if you, if, if you feel like you have enough energy to do that, um, sort of middle middleman houses like Midroll or Digital Media. I think now it, it used to be 30k uh, per episode within a six-week period. I think that's gone up simply because the number of high-quality podcasts or higher-quality podcasts have increased. Like, remember that this is a moving market; like, nothing ever stays the same. Um, but that's just all advertising. I really do think there's a case we made of investing more effort into trying to build out more like Patreon-led subscription models, like. And if you're a one-person operation or two-person operation setting out, the first question you got to ask yourself is how much do I need to make for, for me to feel okay? Um, or if you're going to quit your job and do this, like, be, please be wise about your personal accounting and your personal finance. Um, but they're, they're like, so I, I don't run a podcast, but I run a business off certain principles and certain ideas of subscription. Like I bring in a, like, a couple of hundred people who are willing to pay me so-and-so a month. And then plus, 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 depending on the different things. Uh, I'm on Thank you so much for being, you're, you're the best. Um, who's that? Who give you a hug? Uh, but yeah, but like I, I live in New Haven. I don't need a lot of money to live. I'm also 28 and like watching the ACHA bill <laughs> very, very closely because maybe health insurance is no longer an option for me. Uh, Subscription rates might be going up. That's, in other words. that's right. 
but it's like um, there is no one way to make money. You can make money in a lot of ways. Most of it legal. Please don't do that. But like, come up with like come up with ways. Like I've been forced so many times to like figure out different ways of making money. Um, the question that it comes down to a moral question uh, and a question of means, right? Like so. I think everybody's trying to figure out how to not be so dependent on one revenue stream. And I think this is sort of a very, very big question for bigger companies, but it's exactly the same question that you should be asking as an independent, if you're an independent. Or if you want to get a job, that's a whole different game. But anyway, so. is, is there anyone here who wants to do a podcast really as a passion project and really isn't looking to make money? Like, this question feels kind of moot to them. Clap your hands. Yeah. Good on you. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> okay. And what will I wonder what you'll see as success um, then? Actually, if Maya could come around for any of those people who sort of felt like you know money and numbers isn't necessarily what you're looking for. What 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 is that for you then? Hi. Uh, first, I have to, I'm so excited to be here. This conversation is I'm totally geeking out. Um, What's important to me is um, changing policy about mental health. And actually, could I ask a question? Would it be? Because I have a question. I want sure, to that's, that's absolutely. Oh, we got it. Okay, so the Alex had said earlier about, you know, if you're doing your first podcast, you're just going to suck and that's to the end. That's just how it's going to go. So I've been sitting on this idea for months and my, my fear is I'm going to suck so badly I'm not going to get a second chance. So my question to you guys is, is there a way to suck well? And a way to suck really bad. Like, literally, because I know how, when you listen to his first podcast, there's some things that are forgivable and some things you're just like, no, dude, you just don't have it. I, yes. I would say... Yes, you can suck well. Yes, you can. Suck you can. Well with passion. And I mean, I hear plenty that's like really raw and green, but it's got a spark of, of love and care and like, you know, surprise and sparkle. And I think that that is so important. That speaks volumes. And sometimes it doesn't show up on paper. It shows up... When we did PodQuest, I mean, two-minute submissions from all the 1,500-plus people... And there were things that like looked dead on the paper and then came alive in the audio. So I think absolutely a lot comes out, even if it's you know not the ultimate version you're going to put forward in, into the world. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree 100%. We here at you know at Third Coast we do a competition and we you know received like 550 entries last year. And I would also agree that you can suck well because we can we just stop saying <laughs> suck well. <laughs> <laughs> just something else, please. Be- because we we hear so much good potential, so much potential, and what's really exciting for us is then we hear them the next year they enter again, and we watch the arc. And Julie's nodding; she knows this so well um, of them getting better and better, and, and and knowing that you know we heard that spark, and to hear them get um, really uh, hone their craft over the years is just really thrilling. So. A part of that is, like, coming into the community. Like, you're all here tonight. And, you know, that's another thing that Third Coast demonstrated was, like, people came in, and then a year later, they sounded different, and then they met. And, you know, people that we heard Best New Artist entries for six years later were giving sessions, or five years later, you know. So it, it really is part of, like, tapping into... And that's another thing I tell most people is, like, not just knock on the doors, but find, find your community and, like, learn from each other. It, it, really, it, it really is the foundation for what you're entering into, I think. And if I just add that... Um like sometimes we'll get submissions from people and they have no podcast experience, but they put something together. And um, more often than not, they're like, we're, we're actually really impressive. With no ex- real you know, audio experience. This person's put together something really interesting that, that has potential, right? And so one of the things we also try to do is when we see things that come through that have potential, like maybe we're saying no, 
but then we'll give feedback or I'll, you know, I'll work with Michael May and we'll talk to that person and give them feedback. So even if like, they don't come back to us again, like, they're, getting a, a, like, they're hearing about what's working and what they could improve on. So it could be even better when they send it to Jenna or Alex or they can come back to us. Um, one of the things I always try to make sure is like, the door is never like, firmly closed shut. There's always opportunity people are kind of you know, improving and growing. And nothing has sucked as bad as anything that we've done. Uh, uh, you know, like, I mean, like, like everybody is very in touch with every, I, I, would, I would imagine everybody on this panel has, like, has, like, has the experience of, like, remembering very, very clearly, like, the first thing that they did or the early thing that they did that was awful and, like, is embarrassing. And a good thing to do also just, like, you know, there's this, like, uh, you know, does everybody know about Transom? If anybody's, everybody should know about Transom.org. It's like an amazing resource. And there's all these manifestos there. And like a big, very helpful thing for me early in my career was Ira Glass did a, did a manifesto. And Ira Glass is sort of like, you know, like in many ways the inventor of a big wing of podcasting and uh, was my former boss for a long time. And like he put up, God bless his soul, the very first story he ever did. And it's so bad. <laughs> And you cannot believe how, and there's like no indication that, there, that he would ever turn not a in glimmer. Not a glimmer. to the thing that he became. It's just so incoherent and horrible and like rambly and makes no sense and so boring. And like, and it's just, I, I would listen to it a lot. <laughs> and I encourage all of you to as well. More questions from the audience. We have one here and there. Hi, my name is Ann Howard. I'm a psychiatrist, and I host a podcast called Safe Space Radio. And I have two questions, if that's allowed. The first one is, so you, you make a podcast, you, you suck a lot, and then you start sucking a little bit less. And, and then, sorry, Jenna, and then you said that some of the podcasts really are effective because they have really smart marketing. And I'm curious to ask you, what do you mean by smart marketing? And, and the obvious example that comes to mind, like I think of startup and I think of serial where they had like a brief episode, this cross-marketing thing that you've talked about, where you, you, know, you get to be on someone else's show. So is getting on This American Life smart marketing? How do you get on This American Life? It's, uh, it's called the Ira Glass bump. And what other smart marketing ideas can you recommend? How much no. money do you have? Just uh, yeah. Am I allowed to have two questions, or is that cheating? Uh, let's move on. Yeah, let's okay, get the... Back. Okay, great. Let's, that's a good question. Does, is, do we have any... Um, Eddie wants to weigh in um, on sp- okay, just, smart just marketing. Like in general, like marketing is a profession that employs hundreds of thousands of Americans every year and then millions and millions more across the world. And it's, a, it's an art, it's a discipline, it's really hard. Uh, I am not a marketing 101 person, I have, I have no idea marketing, but like if you just kind of deconstruct it, like two big elements. One, really knowing where the people who would find your show interest are, interesting are. Where, where they are, and then uh, the other part is find ways to go to them and make them do things, and that thing is to listen to your show, right? Um, and there's always, almost always two stories when you're thinking about marketing. One is like the audience, and the second is the platform of reaching them. Platform could be something like a billboard, it could be something a flyer, it could be something like word of mouth, it could be cross-promotion, it could be buying ads off another podcast. Um, it, it is not, the answers, I think a lot of times when I hear this question, and I get this question a lot in my inbox, uh, the, the answer is never is you should try X, Y, Z. The answer is, is build a process. 
uh, build a process of different things you want to try out to get your show in front of people who might find this interesting, build a process to find more places where those people are. Um, and, but, but the problem with building that process is that it's a resource, right? I, I would lo love to take my own advice and grow hot pot into a million dollar industry, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I, am, uh, I have 24 hours in a day, I have seven days a week, I breathe air like everybody else, I'm, I'm a lazy piece of shit like everybody else. And so like, there are just things that I won't do. Like, it's like spending time building out a marketing process at this point in time. But like, you are not a person who is a lazy piece of shit. You are an enterprising young person. She so, asked the question, so yeah, she exactly. that question. Exactly. So. You know, I have a question that I was thinking about. And how important are live shows? Um, how many people here have done them? Uh, no Radiotopia. Yeah, has. we just did a tour. Uh, first, we've done, we did a big show last year in L.A. and then went back to the West Coast. And, you know, it wasn't like a cash cow. Or even a cash kitten. Um, it, it was... Was it a marketing cow? We got a few sponsorships. You know, it was really about reaching out to the community and, again, bringing people together. We did meet with sponsors while we were out on the road. There were a few people that came on board that got great visibility. Um, it was also, again, for the producers. But, uh, yeah, I think, like, now people are really anticipating seeing their favorite podcast live. They're fun. There's a lot of energy in the room. I think they're... Um, it's a new way to experience the show. People bring friends along so you can slowly grow your audience. I think that they can't hurt and they probably can help a lot more as, pe as listeners become more aware of like, yeah, the shows are happening. They're out there. It's, a, it's another way to support the show. And one thing I was going to say is like, you can always ask your listeners for support too. I think people who appreciate what you're doing are, are really happy to help. So I would get that going on um, as well. And with the marketing, like engaging back with your listeners is really effective. So not just tweeting out what you're doing, but responding, retweeting, being available. Uh, you know, people think that they're so much closer to podcast hosts in some way. Maybe radio hosts too, but like there seems to be a, a personal connection that you make uh, because you know they're talking in your ears, etc. But I think it's really easy to um, be respectful and engage with your listeners. You don't have to go on and on, but like just acknowledge that they mention things, and you can build a you can build up your following on that a little bit. I, I, I'm sorry. Sorry, I just wanted to say really quickly, I think it's really interesting that you are a psychiatrist and you have a podcast. You want to do a podcast on mental health stigma. You want to do one on recovery. Like, if y'all don't know each other, please exchange information. And, like, other thing part is, like, about sharing resources, right? Like, that's also smart marketing. And, like, maybe you can do a cross-promo on your podcast. And there's an audience that, you know, I, I, there is something happening here. I, that is a really I, I think that that's a tremendously important point like you're marketing right now and like you should follow up the 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 one thing i would say though is i think you want to sequence it too and and the thing there is there you you don't want to market a product that's not working yet and so the thing that you want to do is is make sure so whatever your number is if it is growing somebody is like caring enough about it to tell somebody else about it and that is a good sign and if it is not growing i don't think it's marketing isn't going to work because there will always be organic growth if something is is pretty good there will always be a little bit of organic growth there will always be somebody being like you got to listen to this and if there isn't somebody saying that marketing isn't going to work so you need like so that's the first thing is 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 that happening if it's not then you got to then you got to figure out why it's not and you got to work on your podcast if your podcast is getting is at the point where it has gone from 1 to 2 and 2 to 3 and 3 to 5 or whatever then you're ready to start marketing and marketing is just meeting people and like 
finding other podcasts that you like and reaching out to people and being like, hey, I have this podcast. Will you listen? Could you be a guest on my podcast? Will, you, will I be a guest on yours? That's all it is. Just doing what you're doing right now. Great. On one more question from the audience before we head back to some, a few more panel questions. So or maybe two, because there's so many questions. We'll, we'll do a few more. Sorry. <laughs> Hi. Um, I just wanted to ask a question when you were talking about NPR and um, talking about listeners who cross over from one show to the other and bringing in audiences of younger um, demographics, how are you tracking those demographics? And I'd like to hear from everybody about if you think there's a one standard way to be tracking stats and demographics. Um, yeah, so uh, luckily we have a really a pretty big research and audience development department at NPR. Um, and um, we will actually do surveys of, of listeners. So, you know, we'll, you know, you'll hear like a call out to a survey at the end of the episode. So we're tracking it that way. Um, we're doing surveys before a show launches to see like with our um, audience testing group to see like who's responding to it in terms of like age or ethnicity or gender, demographics like that. Um, you know, we can also uh, track some of that um, um, doing, like, kind of surveys through NPR One. So there, we have different ways in which we're looking at it, and it's not all one way. I would just say, yeah, we do surveys annually, sometimes twice a year, and you get valuable information. Of course, you're getting listeners who care enough to do the survey, so it's always like, you know, you're, someone put it very well there, like, they're your weirdos, you know, like, it's the people that are compelled to respond to your request to do the survey, so it's pretty tricky just without that um, voluntary participation to, to really understand who the audience is. We have a lot of anecdotal evidence, but the surveys are, are useful to some degree. Yeah, we get a lot of good anecdotal stuff from Twitter, honestly, <laughs> like, um, seeing who's engaging most with the content uh, is, yeah, it's, it shouldn't be underestimated. Uh, hi, I'm curious about the relationship between branded content and uh, original content. There are models where the branded content pays for the content you're super passionate about, and there are models where you use Patreon and ad sales and whatever you can do to pay for your time making the thing that you're passionate about. Are there relationships between those two things that we haven't thought about yet? Besides nonprofit and grant funding, besides brands paying for the thing that you love, are there things we haven't explored? Yes, definitely. What we are were, they, Jenna? And well, we were actually talking about this backstage because there are also some things that haven't really been explored in um, hosts and how hosts sort of personally endorse products. Um, and I don't know. I feel like you have you had interesting things to say about it when we were talking about it. Uh, uh, well, I was uh, like, I, sorry to. Play yeah, on that's right. I mean, I think. Every, every, well, we were talking about how like our our two companies are sort of different in our, our approach. Like, like because we're funding some of our own shows, we have editorial shows that we are we are we are sort of creating, and we we are the ones who are making the final editorial decisions about. And that's a very clear distinction. That's editorial content, and then we also make shows for brands. And they have the final say on that, and that's very clearly, um, that's very clearly like sort of like um, branded content, and like it's a pretty very clear distinction, and they're like treated differently, and like there's a different business model and stuff. Um, you know, our, our like, and just 
on the money, like we, we make more from the editorial side than from the from the branded content side. Um, just because, like, if we if there's more upside, if 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 a show goes big, we can sell it for more, and, and so we can we can we can make more money there. Um, and also, there's more episodes usually. Like, it'll we can only make a set number of episodes. Like, a brand pays us, and we make a set number of episodes, and that's that. Um, but we were talking about like with you, it's like you're. You're not f- funding any of your own. You're always partnering with somebody, but sometimes you're partnering with like a publisher, like uh, like the Intercept, right? Or like it was a, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, I think like the just the lines between what what is considered branded and what's not are a little bit blurred. Um, and it, like I guess I see like some sort of danger in that, but I also think that we can think of ourselves, you know, as like, I don't think of myself as, like, in the news industry. And when I did, I was very serious about this stuff. And, like, would never, like... I wouldn't let my hosts, like, read, you know, any ads. And I was, like, really serious about it. But now that we're... when I think when you, like, move more into, like, entertainment, I don't want the lines... I want... Like, and I think you feel this way, too. Like, you always want to be clear when either you you have an ad or you have... Or you're doing something strictly branded. And we we are always super clear about it. Um, but yeah, it's a complicated. It's a complicated there are some thing. exceptions. Uh, the most notable one being the Slate podcasts, where the journalists read the ads pretty, pretty straight up. Um, and I've always found it a fascinating anthropological situation. Uh, but I think your your other question, which is sort of what the other ways to monetize, there is speaking of Slate, there is this amazing blog post by David Plotz, who is the anchor for Slate Political Cat Fest, where he lists about a hundred different ways that you could theoretically. Like build like build a revenue channel from like a digital media website, but I think you could take a lot of that lessons and try to apply it to to podcasts, big and small. It's floating around somewhere. I think it's on Medium, if Medium sell a thing. Uh, but like you should check it out. I think it's a really good list. I have it pinned up against my wall. Is there another question out in the audience? In the back. In the back. Um, great. Hi there, um, Scott Gurian. Um, I have a podcast called Far From Home where I've been documenting this 11,000-mile road trip I took last summer from London to Mongolia in a really tiny car. Um, I'm wondering if you have any tips for people like me who, uh, for promoting or, um, you know, building your audience for a serialized podcast as opposed to one where it's just one-off episodes where you could just promote, like, an individual episode. It could, you know, people could listen to it or whatever, as opposed to if it's serialized, they have to kind of start from the beginning and listen along. Is the approach any different? Is the approach any different with a serialized podcast? Serialized is tough. Uh, I mean, it's good because, like, if you hook people, then then they can then if they when they if they like it and they start at the beginning, then you've got like a bunch of built-in stuff. The problem is that like it's very hard to maintain momentum all the way through the series, and there's usually one or two episodes where like sort of like eh, not so into it anymore, and like every. Serialized. I guarantee you, every serialized podcast that's been out there, there's one episode where like they see drop off. Number six. Yeah. <laughs> number six. Faded yes. number six. Yeah. <laughs> we the Truth Podcast in Radiotopia did a serial story, but combined it with some other with the regular uh, releases. And I've talked to Jonathan a lot about this. He wasn't very satisfied. He didn't feel like the, the story was hard to follow if it was spread out over eight months. So they're actually going to go back and release it all on a separate feed, and we'll see if that boosts the audience for that. So that's a slightly separate approach with that content. Now, he's also making regular episodes twice a month. So, But we realized you couldn't, you sort of had to split them to probably maximize 
promotion and tracking listenership with that. Um, I think in some ways it's just really about you know, s- conveying something about your show that's going to appeal to people, whether they've been to Mongolia, probably most haven't. You know, what, what is it about that that is, gonna, that is universal enough to attract people um, who may not imagine they would be interested but are going to find it and really like it and keep going with it? I mean, I think the, to me, always the main question is sort of like, is it, it's not a marketing question, it's a content question. Is, it, are, is the content gripping? And can you, is it, is it like, are people leaning in every single time? That's the main thing you have to solve. And if you can solve that, then like, then the marketing will hopefully take care of itself. But like, that's a, that's a, that's the, that's the big thing with that. It's just sort of like giving people a reason to care each time. Let's probably ask two more questions, and then you know there'll be some milling around afterwards and more opportunities um, for conversation. But let's get to a last couple of people. Thank you, Maya. Um, hi, my name is Morgan, and my coworker Konafa and I we work for a show that started as a public radio show that was really a music show. It's called Afro Pop Worldwide, and has become oh yeah, we have some fans. Oh shit, okay. Um, it's become a podcast, and obviously we're in the younger generation of that company, and we're trying to lean harder into the podcast direction, and that's um, raised a lot of questions. My question for y'all is, like, where do you see shows, podcasts that are specifically about music in the podcast world? Like, Song Exploder is obviously a very successful one, both in format and also in numbers, um, but also, like, what has to change? Because what I've seen, my own observation is, you know, when it's for radio, partly you're just music that's playing that people can listen. But for podcasts, and this is myself also as a listener, I want to be engaged in a narrative way throughout. So I found that our production needs to change as we become a podcast to kind of try to keep people engaged intellectually. Um, yeah, so I'd love to hear feedback from y'all about music, the role of music podcasts in the whole scene. Well, one really tough thing about music podcasts, and I think the reason that a lot of people have like stayed away from them or had a hard time with them is the rights issues, um, the the music rights issues. So y- you have w- way more right to like play these songs on the radio than you do to play a full song in a podcast. Um, that's something that I think is keeping a lot of music shows out of the game. Uh, you want to say something? I think the other problem, and one of the things that we, we even struggle with at NPR, even with the brand as big as NPR Music, is that, like, also audiences um, can be really, like, not fickle, but really specific, right? So, like, they could say in a survey, I love world music, and I love jazz, and I love rock, but they only listen to Kendrick. And so they won't actually listen to <laughs> these other things, right? And so that's really hard. Um, you know, maybe they like the artists on one episode, but they don't like the artists for the next episode, so they don't listen to it. So it's, like, it's really hard to get continuously to sustain an audience and build an audience. Music rights is definitely an issue. Um, so yeah, those are, those are big things. And one thing I, you know, what we've seen is like our shows, our, our music shows that are on the radio and then also have podcasts, of course, don't do as well. And things that are start off as podcasts and became a music show do better. So you're, you're right, I think, in thinking about how, how to change your approach. Yeah. But it, it, it's like, I think it's one of those things, it's like sort of like podcast about art or podcast about sports or podcast about music all have sort of the same issue, which is sort of like, 
you, it's like really fun to watch the sporting event. Mm -hmm. And then what does the podcast add? It's really fun to listen to the music. What does the podcast add? And like often the, if the, you know, and so like I think in the sports world a successful, so 30 for 30 is like a, a successful sort of like porting of like, here's a show about sports, but it's also a, sh a story about a show about story. And like that would work as a podcast, but like, you know, but I think that's the issue sort of is like, so what is the podcast adding um, that is beyond just listening to the music? Um, yeah, contact, but like, well, maybe, yeah. But like, I'll I go like, to bat for that one actually, yeah. because I, I'm a huge consumer of like after show podcasts. Um, and like, so I'm, I'm a huge basketball fan and no basketball experience for me is complete without hearing Bill Simmons go 40 minutes on basically nothing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and I think like so, and I think a lot about it is because like so, Sunday night was Twin Peaks, and I it was just for the craziest fucking episode of television I've ever fucking seen. No spoilers, but it's insane. And all I want to do is sit down and just like bask in just some semblance of a space that that I can think through and process what I just experienced. But it's very sad for me to sit in a bathroom alone and just think. And so. <laughs> Because like you know, it's 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 an appropriate space to be alone, uh, but and yeah, so, that's right. So the, yeah, like that, it gives you this. It gives you the deeper dive, right? That is an act, absolutely a thing you can do. Yeah, yeah, and that's like a it's a tried and true genre in podcasting since the very very early days of podcasting. It's just like the the problem becomes differentiation, right? Um, and I'm and I'm, I watch like uh, recap culture grow on the, on the blogosphere. Uh, pretty prominently now it's kind of like died off and become institutionalized but I feel like that's probably going to happen to uh, sort of similar after show podcasts but there's definitely like the question of the what are you bringing into music um, we're, we're, we're going to see higher thresholds for like the quality bar in terms of that kind of show right like Switch on Pop is a really good show about music but they, they do like insane sort of exegese, exegetical deep dives into each yeah. lyric or whatever but you, gotta you guys heard Dissect that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah have you too. heard that? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's great. A, it's crazy. Yeah, like, when a whole that? season on it's Kendrick. Like, yeah. It's like a whole. It's like it's like a it's like a a episode by episode dissection of To Pimp a Butterfly, right? Like yeah. just uh, but every song is like a a thirty minute, and he goes deep into like the history of Compton and like just sort of like it was its roots as a farming community and like sort of like and just like it's and all this it's really it's really it's like. A pretty crazy work, I would right. say. The yeah. Nightfield guys are going to yeah. uh, launch their first nonfiction programming site soon, and one of them is it's basically a sort of episode by episode going through one of the Mountain Goats uh, albums, and yeah. they're like collaborating with the Mountain Goats to like sort of sit around and talk about the song that that guy wrote, and it's, that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I think it's the threshold for that kind of stuff. So there's, there's, there's things to be discovered, I guess, is what we're saying. Yeah. Like, it, just keep keep forging. That's a, those yeah. are great answers. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be charging you later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> One last question. Maya has to choose. Sorry, Maya. Hey, I'm Henriette. Um, thanks so much for making this panel happen. One piece of advice that stuck with me is partner up. Um, if the partnership isn't organic, what recommendations you have to finding people who can connect with you on an idea on this kind of project? And also, how, what questions am I supposed to be asking? Are you, are you in Brooklyn? Is there anybody here who would like to connect with her on our project? <laughs> All right. Uh, what's your email? <laughs> Let's talk. Outside. Or what's your Twitter handle? Just, just, yeah. 
I think I mean I think that's basically there's like communities there's like radio clubs what are the what's the what, what come to Third Coast in November yeah come to Third Coast yeah there's so many clubs um, also I think it's good to find somebody who who's different from you and has different skills um, I've, I have the best business partner in the world and it's I think it's because we just we're both like really good at different things um, and complement each other. And I think a lot of people look for someone who's a lot like them. Um, but it's, yeah, it might be good to find someone with like a different editorial aesthetic than you, that sort of thing. It, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, I think it'd be helpful to um, be really clear about what you want that person to bring and what you're bringing to the table. Um, and then like one of the things I think it's actually a really easy thing to do is like, What's stuff that you like that you're really drawn to? Like, if you're looking for, you know, someone who's an editor, like, what are podcasts? You're like, man, that is so well put together. And that's, like, in line with, like, the approach I want to do or the subject matter. And then, like, figure out if that person would be available, if not available to, like, partner with, to talk to you about things you should be looking out for in terms of partner. So you start doing some research before you get to Third Coast. Great. Thank you so much. I want to ask one final question of the panel, everyone, um, and our fact checker. Um, and that is, what are you most excited about that you see in the near future happening in this, in this realm? And I'm going to start with Nick. Uh, one short term, one long term. Short term, very excited for 30 for 30. Love 30 for 30. Just really excited for it. Uh, long-term answer, I really do think this Apple analytics situation is super interesting. Uh, it's interesting for me as a person who writes about a space because like... Explain what you're talking so about. So what I'm talking about is uh, a couple of weeks ago, Apple an- announced that it's finally going to introduce in-episode analytics uh, to podcasting. And that what essentially means is that the thing that a lot of advertisers have been complaining about that prevents them theoretically from getting into space is theoretically being sort of solved in a very small way. But it, I think it's an understanding that this is just going to entertain a lot more, like this is going to bring in a lot more advertising space, theoretically speaking. So I'm very excited by the fact that um, I think gloves are going to come off. I think podcast companies is going to go crazy. Uh, people are going to fight. Uh, it's going to be more podcast companies. It's going to be great for the news, this guy. Uh, so I'm, I'm, it's great. I just, I'm looking forward to it. It's great. Um, can you say my, my boyfriend yesterday told me that he thinks that the 30 for 30 podcasts or things are going to get him into podcasts? Which was insane, because I was like, uh, what about the work I do? Um, <laughs> um, but um, I think long-term, um, I, 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 mean, I don't mean to answer, because it's like, I'm not trying to be an MP, like, only talk about NPR, but one thing I actually am really excited about is that, um, is that uh, more podcasts will be going to broadcast, and I think that's really great, um, because it will influence and change the way uh, NPR sounds um, for people who are turning on their radios across the country. And so there'll be, I think, more diversity in voices, which I think is awesome. Julie. Um, I, have, I have three things. Um, one is that I think that the, the podcast for kids space is heating up. I have a six-year-old, and so uh, we don't listen to that much yet, but I know we will, and I'm, ex- I'm glad there's some, like, Really, people investing in that and taking it to she try Wow in the world. I've heard of that one. It's marketing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ding. Um, the second thing I'm very excited about is 
um, podcasts happening in other countries. Uh, I spent some time in Australia, and there's a really amazing, lively, burgeoning community there, partly influenced by what's happening here and partly forging its own way. And I think it's so, so important to listen beyond North America to what's going on. <laughs> um, so I encourage you all to leave tonight and subscribe to a podcast from Not America. Um, or two even. And the third thing I can't wait for is heavyweight. Oh. It's, I loved it, so I'm, I'm very... I hope in the near future I'm going to hear season two. It's coming? It's coming soon? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. If you don't know, it's Jonathan Goldstein's podcast on Gimlet, and it was lovely and sublime, and I want to hear more. Yes, and, and you will very soon. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm excited. Well, okay, so I, I'm excited because um, I, I've been... Because there's like more and more things that I'm just like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. And oh, I didn't know you could do that. And like uh, a, a, all across the board, um, uh, I'm, I'm ex- you know, like a show that I sometimes point to as an example is like, um, has anybody listened to My Dad Wrote a Porno? Uh, what? Like how would that before podcasting? It's a it's a it's a it's a it's a show not from America, uh, from you know Britain. Uh, but uh, it's like uh, it's it's a it's a show where the guy he, he discovered and this has really happened that his dad had written a, a pornographic novel, uh, and and he and his two friends every episode they just read a chapter of the pornographic novel and crack jokes about it and it's unbelievably funny and and before podcasting there was no vehicle for that idea that beautiful awesomeness would never have come into the world and with podcasting there is now a vehicle that can exist and it can delight people and like and surprise people and like and I'm just looking for for that to continue happening like that's I hope we can be a part of it I'm really excited about like we have uh one of our producers is here in the audience, and I'm very excited for the project that she's working on. Uh, I think it's going to be—I think it's going to knock people's socks off. But I'm just like I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm excited about like the, discovering the things that we couldn't have imagined. That's uh, kind of what, exactly what I was going to say. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> payback. I know. I stole yours at first. Yeah. Um, I yeah. I think it's just—it's crazy how open the field is like there's so much we can do like a thing that we always try to think about at work is like what's something that like if somebody else did it we would be like really bummed and wish that we had done it <laughs> and I think like that's kind of a good way to be like going into this now is Missing just like Richard Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it was it ended up it was very controversial too but it was fun <laughs> um, but uh yeah there's there's just so much that can be done, and I'm just psyched to see where everything goes. Well, I'm excited to hear what all, what all of you in these, on the panel and what all of you come up with um, at Third Coast and beyond. We will be listening. Did you want to say one more thing? You, oh, you I was going to ask that you mic? for your... But then you just said it, so... <laughs> <laughs> see, hand in glove still, 13 years later. I want to thank our amazing panel... I want to thank Nick Kwa. Subscribe, hotpot.xyz. Uh, Give me money. <laughs> you really should. Hotpot. If you, if you see, this investment should subscribe to Hotpot. It's like. I want to thank Nick Kwa. <laughs> I want to thank Jenna Weiss Berman, Alex Bloomberg, Nigeria Eaton, Julie Shapiro.
I also want to thank behind the scenes, well, semi-behind the scenes, Maya Goldberg-Safer, who was out in the audience with the microphone. Third Coast event manager, Ariel Gentelin, and production assistant, Isabel Vazquez. I also just want to thank Pat Walters. Is Pat Walters here? Because this event wouldn't have happened without him. He's my, he's my ear whisperer. But anyway, he's not here. I'll just have to tell him in person some other time. Um, I want to thank our hosts at Bell House. You've been amazing. Chris and Andrew and Jeff, thank you so, so much. And thanks to all of you for coming.